Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Anyway, time to uh, look outwards. Uh, Jonathan de Burke Butler is our guide uh, once again. Uh, Jonathan, good afternoon. Sean, to you. how are you doing? I had two lovely pints in the cobblestone on Saturday as it happens. Ah, so there right. you are. There you are. Still well, a great place. Still a great place. Absolutely. Right, uh, Uganda we're going to go to uh, first. And uh, 21... Sus- again, this is one of those stories that, you know, probably been overshadowed by other uh, disasters. But the, uh, this is... A load of people have been arrested and five shot over those blasts in Kampala. Yeah, so there was two blasts last uh, Tuesday, I think it was. Um, A total of four people died. I don't know if that includes the uh, suicide bombers who detonated the bombs. There were two separate incidents. One happened near parliamentary buildings and the other was near a police station. And as I said, there was four victims in total. So what you've got here is a situation where you've got Yoweri Museveni who's been in power for decades now. It must be 30 years, if not more. And there are people who want him out. Okay, and there was one group uh, that was put together back in the early 1990s called the Allied Democratic Forces, the ADF, right? And they were made up of some Ugandan Muslims who were unhappy with how they were being Mm sidelined by Museveni. And they tied their colours to the Islamic State mast in around about 2019. So it's thought that these guys in the ADF carried out the bombing. Okay, this was then claimed by the by the the bigger organization, let's call it Islamic State, who said that it involved Ugandans, right? And and the concern here there's there's the obvious problem of of terrorism which which doesn't happen as much in Uganda as it would in other parts, you know, yeah. in neighboring countries to be honest with you. But there is a concern that Museveni will use this as a pretext to go on a witch hunt basically and not only take in suspects uh, that are may or may not be connected to this, but but also political opponents, right? Mm. So that's it. So there's, as you said, a couple of days after the incidents took place and the, those four people were killed, five suspects were shot, uh, including one cleric who's deemed to be the leader uh, of this particular mini group, if you like, um, within Uganda. And uh, 21 sus- suspects have indeed been arrested, as you said. So it's a developing story, but there is that element of witch hunt about it as well, which we need to be careful about. Yes, indeed. And and it wouldn't be just Museveni who'd be yeah. guilty of that. I mean, yeah. you see this all the time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, Gongo, uh, we're going to go to next. Mm. This is just an extraordinary, but somehow not surprising yeah. Yeah. story. Yeah. Uh, uh, this is uh, Joseph Kabila and uh, his billions. Yeah. So this is a story that, to be honest, we've been waiting for. Yeah. For the years that we've been looking at this guy, Joseph Kabia, he was the president from 2001 to 2019. And of course, his father was president before him, Laron. I think he was assassinated during one of the many Congo- Congolese wars. Um, and it, Kabia lost power in about 2018, right? So there's a new guy there called um, Felix Chekisadi, I think is how you pronounce his name. And when the new president came in, it was thought that Kabia was, okay, he wasn't going to be sitting in the front seat anymore, but he was definitely going to be a backseat driver. Mm. But the new president has managed to get rid of him, or there might be another 
side of him that's happening and that is that Kabir has stepped off the stage voluntarily because he's stepping off the stage with an awful lot of money and this is what this particular story is about really there was a, a leak which included over 3 million documents alright so this was work that was done by a French investigative journal called Mediapart and an NGO platform to protect whistleblowers in Africa Okay, and they got together and they leaked this information and the crux of it is Joseph Kabir while he was president had several people who were in his family that were in very um, profitable shall we say positions within the DRC alright yeah. so I want to try and make this as concise as possible so we'll tell yes. the story basically you did tweet a, a, a picture <laughs> yeah. of a diagram a mass, a massive immensely yeah. Yeah, so we'll, let's just say there's a bank okay yeah. involved and there's a company called Sood Oil alright uh, South Oil it would probably translate as Joseph Kabir's brother was the managing director of the bank okay mm-hmm. uh, Joseph Kabir's brother's wife had an 80% stake in Sood Oil, all right? Joseph Kabir's sister had a 40% stake in the bank that his brother was the managing director of, and she also had a 20% stake in the company Sood Oil. $86 million went from national uh, state organisations into that bank to Sood Oil and have now disappeared. So you can kind wow. of make up your own mind there. Yeah. At the same time that this was happening... <laughs> Joseph Kabir, I assume, had no shares in anything. Well, I had no I, idea I, how I, this happened. I don't know if he... I, he might come out of it actually relatively clean in a way, other than the fact that, you know, but he's like connected Putin, to Putin these Putin owns people. nothing, yeah, but he's exactly. a billionaire. Yeah, so the, the, the brother, who is a, an adopted brother, a foster brother, I should say, uh, Francis Selimani, he was going around the world basically buying up these houses and things like that. I put a tweet out, Jay DeBurka Butler, and there's a link to the full report there, mm. which is absolutely fascinating. And some of, the, uh, some of the diagrams are really good, actually, because they explain it very well and how the money was laundered and how simple it all is. But this guy, uh, uh, Francis Selimani, who was the M- managing director of the bank, was buying properties in South Africa, the United States, all over the place. Um, so, uh, you know, a very wealthy man. Now, there's been no comment so far yeah. uh, from any of the parties involved. But uh, you can imagine this is far reaching, I would say. Yeah, where's Kabia now? He's still in DRC. I think he is. I'm yeah. not 100% sure, to be honest with you. I think he is, but he has been fairly quiet in the last number of years, which was unexpected, uh, to be honest yeah. with you. But uh, I think he's still there, mm. yeah. Uh, right, the US we're going to go to next, uh, specifically Pennsylvania, a tragic story. But I suppose this, again, sort of thing that happens routinely in the US we don't even hear about it unless depending on how many people get killed yeah it's a great point actually and and in this case the victim is an 8 year old girl uh, whose only crime was to stand outside a high school football match alright so she was standing outside there presumably with her family when um, a gunfight basically ensued, it involved a gang of teenagers, okay, and two of those teenagers have been arrested. Now, what's interesting about this, that the, the two teenagers involved were 16 and 18, and one of them mm-hmm. was seen to be brandishing a gun. However, when police were called, the whole shootout escalated, and obviously the police got involved, and it was actually a police bullet that killed this eight-year-old girl. Fantability is her name, lovely name. And what is happening now is that the it seems that the the county sheriff involved, I think the, the county is known or the area is known as Sharon Hill, it's a, a part of Philadelphia, is trying to, let's say, deflect responsibility 
from the police mm. th- th- that that would be the negative view of it I suppose okay. uh, yeah. th- that you would see and that is certainly how the father and mother of this victim s- see the case going right mm. they say that you know they're trying to defer responsibility away from the police and put it onto the 16-year-old and the 18-year-old. Now, the courts are going to argue or that, you know, the prosecutors are going to argue that there's a thing called transferred intent going on here where basically the mens rea, all right, like that, thing, mm-hmm. you know, not Chris Rea's brother, <laughs> but the, six, the 16 and the 18-year-old knew exactly what they were doing when they were pulling pulling the guns out and that they were trying to kill somebody, mm-hmm. but they, the transference of that intention went on to another victim and therefore they should be culpable. Yeah. But of course it was a police gun. That actually, sh- uh, that actually shot her. Right, OK. Did anyone else get hurt in the shootout? There was three bystanders who also got hurt. Um, but uh, as I said, the eight-year-old was, was the one who was killed. And her parents are taking a case against the local police and against the county um, for their part in it. But the grand jury has to decide, and this is what the case is all about, whether the police were justified in their use of force during that shooting yeah. and if they do I suppose the responsibility will be transferred to those two teenagers Yeah and I suppose no one's talking about the fact that a teen, two teenagers had, had guns, guns as usual because uh, um, that always ends well Right uh, uh, India we're going to go to now uh, Modi's back down uh, this was Incredible. a highly divisive piece of uh, legislation he, yeah, he brought and, in already and, and something that we have covered uh, over the year that it's, it's been going on uh, cut a long story short he brought in three form lo- form farm laws in 2020 um, that many farmers not all farmers but many small farmers in particularly in the northern part of India didn't like um, because they basically says, said that it was they wouldn't be subsidised anymore and they wouldn't have various different protections mm-hmm. And that Modi was throwing the gates open to big farm corporations or whatever it might be, and they'd be able to decide prices. So given that, you know, India's farming sector still employs 60% of the population or of the employable population, it's a big deal, right? So these particular farmers who weren't happy actually took it upon themselves to go all the way down to Delhi and they camped there for the guts of the year. They blocked up the roads and on various different occasions there was some violence involved. I'm not sure if anybody died during those protests but I I think there was quite a bit of violence at some certain points and it resulted in gridlock and at this stage Modi has decided that he is going to back down and he's repealing the laws. Uh, he said that he was sorry that he was unable to convince farmers that this was the right way to go, that what he wanted to do was make their lot better and he wanted to modernise the Indian farming uh, industry uh, but they, they were they were having none of it and uh, and they see this as a win. Whether mm. it's beneficial well, to them or not, I don't know, but, but well, uh, they see, see it as a win. I mean, it seems he's quite explicit. Uh, he's not trying to spin uh, reversing yeah. these laws. So yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Right, Australia we're going to go to next. This is an interesting story mm. too. I didn't know... Uh, and Aborigines could adopt people, but that's what seems to have happened in the case of a New Zealand man. Yes, this is a very complex case. This involves uh, a man by the name of Shane Montgomery. He was born in 1981 in New Zealand and he came to Australia in 1997 to live with his mother and okay. uh, his stepfather, right? Uh, roll on 11 years uh, later and he commits a crime. I think it was a burglary of some sort and, and with, with a gun, right? And he goes to jail. A year later, he's, he's released and the people who want to deport him, uh, namely the Home Affairs Minister or Ministry, are waiting for him. They put him in detention, right? And he's languishing there for a year. And then he realises that there has a precedent has just been created whereby he can use his heritage 
but it's not a blood heritage. It's a mm. kind of adopted heritage as an Aborigine to stay in the country, right? So he basically says that he is uh, an Aboriginal Australian uh, because he's been adopted by a, chai, uh, a tribe, sorry, this is a tribe called the Moonanjali people who are predominant in Queensland, as mm. most people will know. And, uh, and, and basically the court has sided with him saying that the Home Affairs Ministry didn't take his Aboriginal Australian-ness into consideration when they were thinking of deporting him, and they should have. So they've decided now huh. to release him from detention. That said, it might get kicked back to the Home Affairs Ministry, who might say, OK, yeah, we note that he's an Aboriginal Australian, but we're still kicking him back. Yeah. Because he's not Aboriginal by blood, but by adoption. And in the precedent that went before... Why, why did these people adopt him anyway? I don't know, to be honest with yeah, you. I, or I or can you just rent them out well, to adopt you well, if you need the, it? Well, the thing about it is, I suppose that could be an industry that they could get into. But bear in mind that his mother adopted a... Ste- uh, he had a stepfather. Right. So okay. I assume that he came into the into the tribe in that way. But it, it, there's proof there that he did. Like, he, he was... Right. He okay. had an initiation. He'd been recognised by a woman as, as her son and her family as part of their family. So he is recognised as such. But Australian law at this point doesn't recognise him as being Aboriginal by blood. And so therefore right. he might be sent back to Australia or to New Zealand yet. Uh, right. Finally, we're going to go to France. Now, this is, a, a, I would imagine, a very controversial addition uh, to, to the French dictionary. As people know, everything's hmm. in, in the French language, everything's male or female. Now they've come up with a, a, a gender neutral pronoun. They have. Uh, this is one French dictionary, which is known as Le Petit Robert. And uh, it's been accused of wokeism by some people who aren't in favour of this because it has included a gender neutral pronoun pronounced EL. I think it's I-E-L. And it's a mixture, obviously, of il for he and l for she. My French mm. is appalling, so excuse my accent. Um the, the thing about this is that what happens, the French language, there's an academy as far as I know and they kind of protect it. Mm. I can't remember what it's called, right? And they're very, very particular about that. And what they try and do is anticipate cultural changes, particularly within the language. So if the word computer comes in, they'll change it to some, they'll, you know, they'll turn it into a French word. But of course, culture doesn't always listen to these things and culture has been using this pronoun for quite some time already, ah, right? So right. young people, it's popular amongst young people. They've been using it. So... Le Petit Robert basically saying, look, this is, it's in, it's in the ether. So Mm. we're going to put it into the language now. But there has been pushback by some, in particular, one that stood out was the Minister of Education, Jean-Michel Blanquer, who I think is relatively well known. And he's criticised the addition of the word saying inclusive language is not the future of French. And uh, I don't know why he thinks that, but there you go. Yeah. I don't know, uh, I, but I, it'd be fascinating given, you know, uh, uh, inanimate objects are male or female yeah, in French. Absolutely. And so d- d- will it confuse the language? I wonder if people start using the gender neutral. I don't know enough. Je uh, oh, uh, very good. Uh, Jonathan DeBerger Butler, uh, bon thank chance. Uh, thanks for coming into us. Uh, you are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. We're going to take a break. Uh, after that, on a bit of a theme, the Brit Awards no longer have genders. Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again.